Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning, friends. This is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin, here at the K Factor, where K equals kindness, and the factors are all the things that lead to it. One of the things that is at the base of kindness is love. There's no way around it. And the more professional work that I do, the more personal experiences I have, the more I live by the conviction that love is the answer to everything. There is no situation, there is no scenario whatsoever, whether it's about something peaceful or something violent, something that's personal or something that's business. There is no, no no place where love isn't part of the solution and can make a powerful difference. Sometimes when I say that, people accuse me of sounding like a psychologist, which (laughs) I then say thank you very much because I worked hard for those credentials. The psychology of life is about 98% of what it is we need to deal with. And the most significant relationships for us in this world are intimate relationships. We have emotionally intimate relationships with people who are very close to us that are platonic, but then we add the element of romance and that special brand of passion. And it seems that you add the sexuality to that and everything gets a little dicey. So we have grown-up people out here in the world. We think we're pretty smart. We think we kind of got it going on. We've got our heads together. We've got our hearts together. So what's the big deal about having a romantic relationship? Well, (laughs) if it wasn't complicated, we wouldn't have so many divorces, so many people in counseling, and so many people needing our guest today, who is my friend Roxanne Duraj, who wrote a book called A Therapist Insider's Guide on Relationships. Now, this book was released in October of 2014. And I have to tell you, I know this woman from this powerful mastermind group that I belong to that I traveled to be with in Philadelphia, and I found myself drawn to Roxanne. And I have no doubt that you will too. Let me just read you a little bit in terms of what her book is about here. She says that we need to heal the past. Relationships are complex and challenging. They are also vitally important to our sense of well-being. This book will guide you through a deep personal exploration of your relationships, breaking away from the traditional protocol. Expert therapist Roxanne DeHarge delves into her own past relationships to show how you can heal from the past the same way she did. This is going to be one powerful hour. So let me stop talking and introduce our guest. So you can hear for her, from her. Good morning, Roxanne. How are you? Good, good, Deb. How are you? Great. How's life up there in Canada? Actually, it's um, it's pretty good. It's sunny. Um, it's a little bit cooler today. We've had a little bit of a um, really hot spell, which was really, really nice, and everybody was kind of screwing around, putting on their air conditioners and getting things done. And um, here in my little neighborhood in Niagara Falls, Ontario, it's gotten quieter again because it's uh the temperature's dropped a little bit again. 
but but I think we're primed and ready after the um, sub-zero temperatures that we had over the winter for a nice summer. No kidding, we're all we're all set. And you know, I think it's I think it's funny that you're saying Niagara Falls because isn't that at least for Americans that is the ultimate honeymoon destination at least in a romantic way people talk about romantic romantic and romance of Niagara Falls is is it the same true in your community about Niagara Falls absolutely um you know i i think a lot of uh, couples flock to uh, Niagara Falls as a destination uh place for weddings and it's known right as being you know the honeymoon capital of the world kind of thing mm-hmm. so, so definitely you you do hear people talking about that um I think a lot of people come from afar just to be able to have that experience of the, I think they, the power of water and that those falls. And when you look at, you know, just natural beauty and power, um, it's it's uh, it's quite the thing. It's at about two minutes uh, from the falls actually at my home. I can hear it. Oh my! Um, yeah. So. That's beautiful. Now, did this have any influence on you becoming the professional that you've become? So interested and invested in romantic relationships? Well, my, my history started in the little island of Trinidad and Tobago, and um, I moved to Niagara Falls about uh, almost 30 years ago after finishing school at uh, the University of Toronto. So I'd like to mm-hmm. say that I thought I would, uh, that was a bit of the inception, but it was really about where my, my life led me uh, to come mm-hmm. here to settle and uh, start, you know, settle down with my partner and um, where I live now with my, with my son. Mm. So tell us a little bit more about the book and why you were so compelled to write it. Well, I, you know, I've been a I've been in the field since I was about 21 years old. I think I knew quite young, uh at about 11 that you know, I wasn't the traditional, you know, kind of um the route that I was taking going to my old private school in Trinidad was not the, you know, the scientific or um, so I knew I wanted to help people. I just got gained a sense that I was valuable and that I was a great listener quite young and that I, I also got um, a bit of feedback that people felt a lot uh, different or better when they were able to spend time with me. And often with little girls, what things do we talk about? We talk about boys and relationships and those types of things. And so I think um, early on also there was a bit of, um, you know, disharmony in my family of origin and... Um, Grew up in a family of, um, you know, where there were six children, and uh, my parents were quite young. My mom had had all of us by the time she was 29, six children at 29. Um, and obviously the cracks um, started to show, I think, quite uh, quite early in their relationship. So in, in turn, me as a child recognized that there was uncertainty in my life quite young. And then, um, you know, started to look for, you know, some of these, those answers, which um, unfortunately, you know, back when I'm talking in that time, um, back in the 70s, there really was not that concept of um, helping in a traditional sense. In my culture, uh, you'd go to your aunts, your uncles, your, you know, which is probably typical of a lot of people to get the support, but there wouldn't be oftentimes that objective support that I, I felt at times that I needed. And the people or the counselors around me at my school really, uh, now that I think back, were you um, know, quite remiss or lacking in the skills that I think would have helped me as a teenager to kind of maneuver some of the struggles that I was having um, with my parents at home. Mm. 
So is that what propelled you to want to become a therapist, was trying to figure out your journey? Yes, because I think, you know, when you love, you know, you come into this world and you are born into two people that you know love you profusely, but they're ill-equipped um, with the, the skills to maneuver being married, um, keeping things happy between them, and also raising six children. I think being realizing I'm the middle child of six, nothing like the typical therapist in uh, in, in uh, a family. I was kind of the mediator um, in, in my family. Uh, with the kids, those types of things. So I think when what I realized is I think I recognized what pain was very early and felt at times alone and recognized that when I connected with others, I felt so much better, but realized that I would have probably in retrospect have uh, been further along had I had somebody to be able to go and problem solve with a bit more that could assist me to go back to my family to say, look, this is really what's happening here let's talk as a as a system on how we can make things better. But unfortunately, that was not something that really was there, not unlike what I do today. And I see a lot of teens and young adults where they can come to me and be able to, to uh, objectively talk about what they really need. And then in turn, I could go back to their, their parents, obviously with permission to be able to share what is really necessary for them to move on. Mm-hmm. Do you think that we get into trouble in our relationships because we develop bad habits out of just a, a lack of awareness and consciousness about what's what's going on, our role in it, how we're trying to maneuver through it? We just develop bad habits and we think, well, that's just the way that it is. Well, I think so, right? So I think of... Um our habits that we, we bring to our present is based on so many things in our lives, lots of variables, you know, like I said, family, but, you know, expectations, what are our beliefs about uh, relationships, about my needs, um, how is it that I get my needs met, and were my needs met when I was younger, or did I have to shut off from them? I think that becomes very pivotal. And then in turn, um, let's say I look at my particular situation, and I learned that there was, you know, a lack of time and a capacity for my needs to be completely fulfilled emotionally when I was quite young. So I developed other skills kind of to get through those tough times and shut off from some pivotal things that maybe in retrospect later on I had to, had to reconnect to. So I think, yes, some of it is just you're adapting and adjusting accordingly to be able to deal with whatever is in front of you at that time. And depending on the stage and the age that we're at, that could affect us in different ways. Um, and then we bring that, right? Like you said, we grow up, you know, we all of a sudden we're in love and we're in these fantastic loving relationships that's all fulfilling and I'm complete. And then the honeymoon ends, literally. And um, and then you have to really look at yourself and look at your partner and really be able to dig deep to understand what part of this is about me, what part of this is about the relationship, and what part about this is about me and my partner uh, digging really deep to understand what our vulnerabilities are so that we can in turn um, create that safety and security for each other. And I think, unfortunately, um, when couples get together, they're, um, they're bringing some skills, but they've really never developed or practiced the skills that are necessary for long-term uh, relationships. The honeymoon phase, mm-hmm. most, most of us can do pretty well, uh, but I think after that, the 5, 10, 15, 25-year uh, bits is where uh, people start to kind of... Um, the issues start to come up. Mm-hmm. So 
do you you know the thing that I always think is is interesting when when people get into trouble in their relationship and they blame the other person, one of the things I find myself saying to people is, "Well, don't forget you picked this person." <laughs> You know, the two of you picked each other, so you have to take responsibility for either not being aware or or being aware and not being able to resist what you are walking into. So do do you think that we need help in the selection process as well as in the relationship itself, or can we make it with anybody? I think um, if we go into these relationships consciously, and I often say when I see couples, you know, um, you know, really you're bringing your your mom and dad and your grandparents' relationship with you into your formulation of relationship, and your partner is doing the same. So kind of think about right. that. That's kind of crowded in there with about five couple dynamics all wrapped up into one that you're bringing into the present. I think, you know, chemistry is something that we all try to figure out and we all get attracted to lots of different reasons. But I think if people were able to have clear conversations about what they're bringing, what could Mm -hmm. be their blind spots, you know, and what do you have to be realistic about? I think that really equips a lot of couples with some of the basics to really what is long-term about. It's not about the wedding dress. It's not about the destination. It's about when all the friends have gone home and now you're here alone and you're you're building this life together, what are the things that may potentially um, come up and how are you going to maneuver past them to stay connected and really um, go back to the long-term vision of why you got together? Mm. Do you think that people can survive on chemistry alone? Absolutely not. <laughs> I right. think it's... Um, I think, you know, chemistry is a funny thing, right? Chemistry yeah. alone at the beginning, I think, can, you know, can get people going quite far. But what happens is after that, we all go back to we all need safety and security. And I think of our primary kind of uh, connection and, and what we're looking for. We're all looking for that ultimate, like you said, we're all looking for love, right? We all right. need to be connected at a deep, deep, profound level. And if we've never or we had some blocks of, like, of that um, early on, then, and we're looking for a partner to fulfill those ultimate needs of things that we didn't get along the way, that's a lot of times a strain on a partner. Mm-hmm. However, so I think, you know, recognizing what part of this is about me and me not being able to fill my void when I'm alone or when I'm triggered because I hear a loud voice, what is it that I could do to calm myself down, to recognize my partner's really going off in the... Um, not trying to hurt me in any way. So I think it becomes a bit about your responsibility individually to which part of this uh, piece of pie is mine and then mm-hmm. which part about piece of it is about my partner and which part of it is about that figure eight in relationship, that, that mm-hmm. circle that we all kind of continue to create in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, lumping it all in our partner, if we think that our partner is going to, you know, now that I've found the one that makes me whole, now I, I, don't, I no longer have to work at at um, keeping things good between me and my partner. I think un- unfortunate is an anomaly that most uh, people and most of us need to come to terms with if we're mm-hmm. stepping into a, a long-term relationship with that uh, perception in mind. Right. The job is not the acquisition. The The job is, is the, the maintenance. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, all couples will have conflicts. And 
I think it's what they do with the conflicts, you know, um, you know, when they get into the demon, the demon dialogues where they kind of, um, you know, kind of berate or put, put each other down or do things that are, um, are hard to repair, that becomes a cumulative effect. But then when they really start to talk about vulnerability and where they get to when their partner does something to hurt them, um, to help the partner understand the impact of what they're doing and where it takes them. Because that element of being uh, open and vulnerable with your partner allows your partner to get that this may not be about the action that you're doing in the present, but it's a bit about me. It takes me back to a place that's dark and not nice. So I need for you to understand how your actions are impacting me and taking me back to a space is that what we were trying to do? And oftentimes the other partner is able to say, oh, my goodness, no, did I, I didn't mean to hurt you like that. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Now that I know this, I can um, do something a bit different so that I don't go to the point where I'm, 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 I'm bringing that pain to you. So I think it's really that deep, deep level of conversation that needs to get created in sessions or between people to be able to learn that, to be able to uh, create safety regardless of what the issue is. Right. And Roxanne, in your experience, do you find people willing to go deep? Well, it depends on the couple. Um, I can mm. think of I have a couple, a couple of couples that I see later on this week. And um, what I find is sometimes it's hard uh, for some people, depending on what maybe, um, you know, that whole element of vulnerability brings up in them. But I think for the most part, if people um, are willing to work on things, um, then what sometimes what they might need is individually, and you would not know this, uh, Dr. Deb, is that they might need that time alone with you as a therapist to mm. be able to kind of make sense of what's going on with themselves. And then sometimes they just don't know how to deliver it to the partner because they're afraid or they don't want to re-injure, those types of things. So I think that becomes where my role as a therapist comes in is, so, for instance, with, um, you know, if there's an affair and now both people are willing to work on it, sometimes, you know, seeing the person that's had the affair to help them kind of grieve what they think they've lost, but to also bring the learnings back to the marriage becomes pivotal. But oftentimes seeing them in the same room, that could be quite injurious to the person that, they, that uh, the other partner, um, because they may not um, be able to kind of deal with some of the pain. You know, that brings up an interesting part about relationships. Do you do you think that, and is it your finding that infidelity is just a part of life and every every romantic relationship is going to experience infidelity on one or both parties? You know, and when you look at the stats, one would believe, right, that it's a, it's a norm. But I, what I think is that um, it's people's ways of not, um, being able to deal with what's going on in the relationship. So if we think about mm-hmm. it, there's lots of other things that happen in relationships, right? People develop, you know, they work too much or they, you know, they play too much away from home or, you know, lots of things, addiction, those, you know, a lot of different things to distract them from what's going on emotionally. Affairs mm-hmm. are one of those, right? And it's the one thing that's the most, um, you know, injurious oftentimes to the couple, so I don't think it's destined. I think if people are able to um, really, really uh, develop or be conscious of their, what they need, because if you fell in love with this person for a reason, right? That's what I often right. say to them. 
And I say, you know, there's two things to, a, to uh, you know, an affair. It's either, okay, this is the end of this marriage and there's no turning back, or it's the biggest, biggest, greatest wake-up call that you can have. Whereas mm-hmm. now, now from this platform, you can really get a sense of what was happening, what was the context, what was going on, how were your needs being met, how were your needs being met, what was happening developmentally with your children, your time, your jobs, your careers, and what could you do once they're both on the same page, learn from this and ensure that you inoculate against things in the future. Not that it's going to look the same, but what are the, some of the things that might come up again which weaken that ability for you two to bond? And how mm-hmm. will you let the other partner know? Because oftentimes one person says, well, I could see this was going downhill a long time ago, but I did nothing. So it's about having them recognize it. Either one of you needs to take responsibility when you see things bearing off and using the skills that now you're going to gain to be able to get that, you know, that train right back on track. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an interesting dynamic when one person sees that things are derailing and the other person doesn't want to quite be captured by that reality yet. Absolutely. And I can think of one scenario <laughs> that I've seeing, um, been seeing not too long ago, and the the one partner just didn't want to see it. It was a perfect life. It was a perfect life, right? That was the defense coming in. And the mm-hmm. other partner was saying, but I need you. I, I really need you. And I think that whole element of needing fosters that element of dependency. But if you think about attachment, Dr. Deb, we all want to be securely attached, right? So right. that dependency is normal. We all strive for that, right? We all want to give that to our children, we all want to do that in friendships. We all want. We all have that level of intimacy that we're all yearning for. And then when couples feel like they need somebody, there's that label that, oh, that, that makes you weak. But really in a coupleship, that's necessary for that bond to continue. So I think sometimes it's kind of having people talk about that and know that it's okay to depend on your partner. That's part of mm-hmm. being in a partnership. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes that whole element of individuality um, and being part of a couple um, trips up a lot of people. So I yeah. think uh, I often talk to them about, it's okay to need your partner. You're in love with him or her. You know, it's okay. <laughs> and I think that oftentimes when you start to talk about that, people recognize that maybe they've been pulling away because they're scared or they're afraid They're afraid to be hurt again, you know, yeah. if something's gone wrong. Right. Um, what... What do you think is the main element that couples need to continue doing to maintain and enhance on an ongoing basis in their relationship with each other in order to stay connected to each other? Well, I think the oftentimes the one thing that happens is that life gets in the way of relationships. People mm. are very good at doing life. So the kids are well taken care of. They, you know, they're making every activity, everything's scheduled. Both careers are on track. The house is, you know, everything's getting done. But what happens is, at the end of it, the couples, the couple, they're, they're depleted, and then there's no time for that uh, couple bond to happen. So, as much as it's out of the natural norm, people will say, "Well, it will naturally happen. We're just going to have time." But uh, there's never time or enough. Um, you know, you know, downtime or energy when you've done everything you need to do. And I often go back to having people dream again about um, what it was like when they met and 
restoring what it should look like now, what they fell in love with, what they admired, what things they enjoyed together, um, and to kind of glean the elements out of what that, what that vision in both their minds individually and collectively looked like when they mm-hmm. met. And how, do, how are they going to recapture that? And, you know, um, it's about scheduling dating. And people go, you want me to schedule dating like I do a dental appointment? And I said, absolutely, I said, because if you were to ignore certain vital uh, appointments, what would happen? Well, things would fall apart, wouldn't they? Well, is this the most important relationship in your life for yourself and then in turn your children? Yeah. And then I think when people start to do that um, and, they, you know, they, they don't have the feelings, but all of a sudden when they start to spend that time in that space again, they start they start thinking and feeling and sharing, and that's the whole element about intimacy. If I'm not sure what my partner's thinking or feeling at any given point, then what is intimacy going to look like? It's going to wane, of course. So that's what I do with my couples relatively quickly um, is to try to have them start to uh, go out and do, even if it's like a 10-minute walk at first because we're having a lot of issues, and mm. then they start to report what they notice, what they what they could see, what they experienced, what they were thinking, what they were feeling. And um, so that's what I would say with couples. Regardless of what's going on in life, put your relationship on the calendar, on the map, and do something where there is no distractions, where you can understand what your partner is thinking and feeling at any given point. What are their dreams? What are their goals? What are their stressors outside of the relationship in the world with the parenting, everything, so that you really have that unconditional hearing of what the partner is going through. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> I'm curious. I wonder, in in today's world, I hear so many people having difficulty finding the right partner and wondering, where do I go to look for my mate? And so people are turning to the internet and they're and they're turning to online dating services and there's this kind of a, a twofold question. Um I'd like to get your thoughts about online dating and also about what seems to be cropping up a lot and and powerfully are self proclaimed experts about relationships who are telling men or women, they're just they're segmenting their audience. So it'll be a guy telling women, "Here's what men really want," and a woman telling men, "Here's what here's what women really want." And and it's this top secret information. And if you do these things, this person will be so attracted to you, they will that you know they won't be able to contain themselves. They'll be ready to jump <laughs> off tall buildings just to get to you to look in. And I yeah, think about yeah, that. Um, and I, this kind of um, energy seems to be counterproductive in a way because if we're if we're we do a lot of things to manipulate one another, you know, we we wear clothing, we wear makeup, we wear jewelry, and that's manipulation. But to go into psychological maneuvering, do you think all that's healthy? And and that, how does it tie in with the online internet reality we're living within here? Well, I think, unfortunately, um, gone are the days, you know, I think as, as as time evolves, you have to go where you're going to meet people, right? So yeah. I often say, there's, you know, you have to go. So obviously, 
um, socials, but of course, you know, I think about at my stage, it's more difficult to go out and you'd have to join like groups and things like that. I think if people were to join more things that were activity-based with things that they, what they enjoy, they're again going to already have a subset of people that would have liked, like interests. So that's yeah. what I would say is a good, good option. The right. internet is like um, you're going into a big pool of fish and, you know, you really like swordfish that's blackened. But you have mm-hmm. to go through every possible type of um, scenario <laughs> to find really, really what you want. So I think that's what you're going to get online because you yeah. have, like you said, there's deception, there is people's old issues, or you know, those types of things. And they're bringing, everybody's going to put the best foot forward online. Yeah, it scares so me, how actually. How do you decide for that? Yeah, how do you yeah it really it, it frightens people. Yeah, the deception as well as the... The the sifting through seems just absolutely ridiculous. Right, and you have to be, unless you go to um, a site that's really, really vetted out somebody, you're going to have to be sifting a lot. And unfortunately, as human beings, like you said, we all try to maneuver and manipulate to to put our best foot forward at first. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as you get to know somebody, it's like, you know, when you're dating, you have to date a lot in order to get to know the person. But keep right. in line what right. you're, what you need, what is it that you're looking for, and what do you value, and what is it are the elements that are necessary for something long term. Mm-hmm. Right, I think if you're if you're kind of not caring about that, you're going to be you know dating a lot, a lot, a lot, and eventually you probably would find somebody. But I think it depends on the individual, and you know what they're, what they're what they're able to deal with. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, online dating is like anything else. It's You're going to have to go out a lot in order to be able to sit down, unless you go to a service. And I know there's some um, higher paid services where they actually funnel down on the core elements mm-hmm. of dating. And the, so that when you are actually meeting this person, they, you know that that person is looking for the same things. A lot of the online datings now, it's what, I don't know, five, ten bucks, twenty bucks a month kind of thing, but these would be higher paid uh, kind of services where the mm-hmm. person is vetted out based on the things that you're really looking for. So speak to the other elements that you're saying about um, these elusive or kind of um, groups that are coming up with, if only you knew what women wanted or men wanted. Right. And I think it's that that chasing that people are looking for out there, right? Like there's this magic pill, Right. Yeah. Um, and yes, there are elements to understanding men and women, but is that does that mean that that's going to find you your mate? Um, right. It's awfully expensive, first of all, <laughs> to be able probably to do these things, to buy into these services. But I think right. at the end of the day, it's individuality. It's about going back to, you know, I think about primary kind of. I, in my book, I t- like you. I know you did in your book too. I talk about the blueprint of relationships. And right. what is it that I need in my relationship, which is constantly going to shift from when I'm a young child to a young adult to a mid-stage adult, and how do I know within my body, my thoughts, and my feelings when my needs are being met and if this person has the ability to carry it through long-term? And that's where I nice would be able to sell that. Yes, I love that you just said that. That I... I wish that we could put you on a loudspeaker (laughs) and just broadcast that over all of the United States and all of Canada because that is the essence of the answer of what people need to do. Pay close attention. 
pay really close attention to what you know about yourself and take the time to know who you are, right? Right, and I think oftentimes people are trying to fill a void, right? So if I'm not so happy with what I am like in my own skin, and you see, you know, this is hence the second and third marriages ending in divorce and higher rates because instead of kind of dealing with what happened, and really trying to put the pieces together and working on themselves, people then just pop another person in. And they're thinking, oh, that's, this person's really different. They're nothing like my ex and this, that, and the other. But in turn, two, three, five years into it, what they realize is that person has a lot of elements that may be the same, but a lot of it is also about them, right? So I think that's what I often say to people is like, you know, let's, let's take some time and learn from what happened. It's not about putting blame, um, but what part of it, was I, like you said, we picked these partners. So what part of this do I need to take responsibility for? Um, And then what part of it am I needing to shift within myself so I can also attract the things that I'm really wanting now? Right. Um, Because we change. We change, right? Right. I think that's where people get messed up too is they don't know Two things seem to be really missing in the formula when when I am talking with people who are struggling with this issue. Number one, they don't know where to go to meet people. And, and I say similar things to what you do. Instead of having on your agenda, I'm going out to meet the right person, say to yourself and set your set your sights on, here's what I love to do in my life and I'd love to share it with somebody. So I love equestrian events. So I'm going to get involved with equestrian events, or I love cycling, so I'm going to go and do cycling. Mm-hmm. And the people who are going to be in that arena are going to be people who you're going to have some common ground with. People Absolutely. And I, yeah, I, I completely agree, because then really you've already done a lot of sifting by the fact that you're around people that are like-minded to begin with. And worst case scenario, you go out to those events, you you create other connections. You know, I think I once uh, uh, was listening to Katie Couric on a, she was, when she was single after she lost her husband, and she said she went out to these kinds of events. And what she ended up finding is, you know what? Wow, these are a lot of neat people that are a lot like me. I may not yeah. want to date them, but I might know somebody else that they might fit with. Or worst case scenario, I've now created a new friendship with someone right. that I could spend time with um, yes. that's a, you know, has yeah. a lot of common, same common values, beliefs, and assumptions about things around them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's so amazing. Amazing. So in terms of the statistics, the current statistics about marriages ending in divorce in both of our countries, the United States and Canada, what do you think it is that's going on that the statistics are so high. Why are people getting divorced instead of staying together? What is that? I think it would be a combination of things. Um, The element of how people are viewing marriages. um, And we have a lot of different influences too, right? The media, um, we are so absorbed in what we think relationships should look like and you know, what my partner should be like or look like or what's the perfect kind of, you know, sensuality in a relationship, romantic romantic chemistry, those types of things. And I think we just have to go back to the basics about what is it like for me um, 
And again, you know, I think of, I have a 14-year-old son, uh, Dr. Deb, and I, I'll say to him, you know, what is it that you like about that person when we'll have conversations, right? Not, you know, he's not into the girl's age yet, but even friendships. Because really, with it, on a deep, profound level within all of us, we know what we like. Yeah. But if we are in being influenced by the Internet, by the media, by this, you know, the celebrity uh, element that we, we put a fo- ahead of our own lives, then that skews our perception of what it is to be with somebody that's going to be a long-term partner. So I would say go back to the basics, you know. Think about the long-term people around you. Think of the people that have had good, caring, kind relationships. Um, the people that seem to still like each other 10, 15, 25 years later, regardless of if they've been through a tough time, and talk to them. Have mm. conversations with them about um, what the things that you're looking for. And um, then I think that would potentially be a good beginning spot to look at long term. And um, sometimes I think it's easier to get out than to really try in a marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think people should really think about that is why am I getting married? Am I getting married for the fact that everybody's about 35 years old and everybody else in my peer group is about to get married and I'm the only one left? Yeah. Or is you know, or my biological clock is running out and I'd like to have a child or am I doing it for the right reasons? And I think if we can get back to that space or get into a generation that starts to think like that, um, I'm hoping that with time... Um, that would be able to decrease the the high percentages that we're seeing. Um, there's some people that, you know, ultimately may not, that statistic will still be there for different reasons, like violence and addictions, mental health, chronic mental health, or those types of things that are sometimes tough. But the other elements when we're talking about people with skills, I think it's just going back to really what is a true endearing companionate relationship that's going to endure the test of time. Mm. I think that people sometimes get off base in thinking about who their mate is going to be, and they don't think so much in terms of this is not just my romantic interest, but this is my truly partner in this life, my life partner, my my soulmate, my best friend. Do you think everybody wants those elements in a marriage, or do you think that that the majority of the people that you're seeing in your practice are people who they have a different formula, they have a different blueprint for what they want? You know what I think. What's happened now compared to say even um, you know when when my parents were married, you know we are looking for our partners to be our best friends. And that's a lot more pressure on couples today, right? Mm. Um, whereas the years and years ago, we would expect our partner, you know, to be you know, a parent or um, those types of things. But now we next expect them to be, you know, a great parent, a great partner. But what I'm finding with most of the couples that have come in is they want that true connection. They want to be great parents together. They want to um, provide for a great life for their children. But at the end of the day, that need for deep and intimate connection is something that most of the couples coming to see me want. So I don't oftentimes get couples coming in um, that say, you know, I really don't care about this. I just want to make sure that um, our kids are fine. Um, Mm. That said, some people stay together for different reasons, right? And I respect that absolutely. 
um, those individuals have to make those choices for themselves. But I think most of the couples coming to me, maybe we could say that's a smaller um, subset of the population are people that are really wanting to ensure, you know, that they're having a life once their kids have gone off to college and university. Mm -hmm. Now they're not complete strangers. They're like, and uh, you know, we know, like we know that, uh, you know, from the data that um, divorces or, or, or separations generally happen when the kids are very young or when they're going off to college or university. So those are the two generally very high stress points in couples' lives. Um, so I think, you know, looking at that um, shows you that, you know, if people were to really, um, you know, figure out what it takes to deal with those stressors and stay connected, um, for the most part, I think couples want that intimacy um, uh, or else, you know, we wouldn't see as many marriages as we we see in the world as much as we do. Mhm. Yeah. Do you think it when when people are coming into your office is it the is it the man or is it the woman who's initiating it? Well, generally it's the woman. So I still go back to the fact that the women are still the emotional keepers of the relationship. Men are more pragmatic in mm-hmm. their solutions, you know, but they 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 definitely do come in, but oftentimes with the kind of the um, you know, the guiding of the female partner saying, we need to talk about this. We need to get to the bottom of this. But what I find is, like, um, the men, men sometimes, once they get there, they're, they're right on board. They're, they're willing, once they're, they're right on board and willing to work as hard. They may not be the easiest to initially get in, but, um, and I often say that men, you know, um, share emotionally, oftentimes I find in my office quicker than women do. Um, so I think it's definitely the woman that's maybe initiating, and we know that practically with um, um, kind of worked with a health and wellness firm for uh, over 12 years, and what we found is that women go to therapy for family, for couples issues, and men go to pragmatic solutions, right? Financial mm-hmm. stress management, those types of things. They eventually triage back to therapy, but they try everything objective first, and then they end up getting into therapy. Yeah, um, but, you know, but they work awfully hard, um, men, and I think sometimes, you know, they might get the raw deal that they're not willing to work, but uh, with the with the men or the couples that I see, they work equally as hard and, and oftentimes are willing to open up a bit quicker sometimes than the females. You know what, I am really glad that I asked you that question because in, in my career work, the majority of my clients have been men. And then men as executives, when I'm doing corporate work, doing corporate consultations, in a business arena about business issues. But the business issues are always related to the personality uh, components. And when I spend time with my clients and they're the the lead management, the C-suite, so to speak, I find that they are open and responsive and ready to talk and eager to talk. Now, granted, I'm there as an outside party who is listening to them in confidence with no retribution coming back on them and some personal dynamic. But I have not I I just have never found men to be closed off the way that so many women in a stereotyping way, describe men as being. I think that as women, I worry about what we do in our relation to men 
to shut men down and to shut them off because of the ways in which we behave in whatever way that is. Somehow it doesn't invite a man to feel like he can be open and vulnerable and stay and safe and still be the man. Well, I think that's, you know, I often say sometimes um, that's a bit of a dilemma, you know. Um, you know, with me raising um, my 14-year-old, I see that, right? So, yeah. yeah, you know, he's kind and he's caring and he's vulnerable and he shares and he'll say to Mom, I don't like your tone of voice. And then he suits up for hockey and then he's got to go out there and he's got to be aggressive and on. So I think <laughs> men have a lot more to vacillate from, right? So if you think about you know, biologically, anthropologically, we expect for men to protect us. Right. But then when we want them to be vulnerable, they have to drop the emotional guard. So I think <laughs> that's, the, that's the dilemma that men kind of face, right? right? They want to protect, but they also want to be available. And that's a, sometimes a hard thing, um, you know, for men to do. But I find that, like you're saying, I often have dealt with the senior level executive men also. And... Um, Often find times they are just people and they're wanting the same things um, out there in their lives. They maybe have a particularly strong, powerful position, but at home they want to um, be equally as connected with the, the things. And most of the cases that we saw across Canada with this uh, huge health and wellness firm was related. 65% of our cases across Canada were relationship issues coming through Canada. And I would think that the U.S. would probably not be. So couples relationships and family relationships for what we were seeing. Um, so that shows you that people, you know, people come forward to, to you know, try to figure out things to make things um, better or to resolve things. Absolutely. And <clears throat> when it's interesting because when we are closed off, and this was this was part of my re- my research when I was in graduate school, and it was it was being my research was taking place at about the same time that Dr. Dean Ornish's research was taking place. His um, his research was published in the Lancet, and then he came out with a very thick book that was called the Open Your Heart Program. And what fascinated me was. Well, every part of it was great, but what really captured my attention was what I had known intuitively, and he was able to demonstrate scientifically a little bit different than I than I was. But when we close ourselves off emotionally, psychically, deeply, we really do clamp down on our vascular system and create a physiological shift that causes cardiovascular damage to us. We really do close down our heart as opposed to opening our heart. And the way the way in which I love the way that you did the setup there with your son of having that vulnerability and that quiet gentility at home and then he has to get suited up to go play hockey. It really is like what men have to do when they go out and do whatever it is they're doing in the world. They're going out as a man. I don't care what that role is as a man. They're going out and doing a man testosterone thing. They have Mm -hmm. to really gear up for the battlefield out there, I mean, in a really primitive way. And it's almost like we need to have a a mudroom or an entryway back at the house (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that really invites this arm, you know. It's like we should almost have in the garage 
a real true suit of armor that they can just sit with and, you know, like run their swords through some yeah. things uh, so that then they can really feel the disrobing and the transformation back into that core self that where they don't have to be so defended in their home, Absolutely. in their environment with significant other. I don't think we've ever right. learned how to no. do that. No, and I think because they have to vacillate back and forth, and then, you know, you could be a CEO of a company, and you're walking through the door, and there's four kids that need you and a wife that hasn't seen you, <laughs> you know, all those things, right? And then you, you're, you're dad and your husband, and you're having to, you know, be there and be vulnerable and understand. And so it, with that coat of armor, just to your point, you know, if you're not able to do it in a way that dissolves it as you kind of come through that front door, and you you know you come in with that demeanor. It's going to be obviously harder to understand or to understand the needs of who needs you at what time and how to kind of you know help them out, but also get your needs met too. So I think it's again, I believe it's conscious, deep, loving conversations, like you said, um, and it all goes back to um, thinking of the heart um, and. You know, physiologically, what we find, like I work a lot with trauma victims and, um, you know, the the physical and physiological um, complaints that my clients have, got, have come in with is just phenomenal. And when you kind of look back to when their, their issues started, it was very, very young, and then they had to close off their heart because of some of the pain that they endured. So I think... What you're saying about love is so, it sounds, like you said, fluffy, but it's so true. If we can, as human beings, when I see someone, I really try to tap into intuitively what their heart is feeling and how I can help them just drop that fear a bit at a time, not too quickly, not to flood them and and scare them, so that eventually that they could have an experience with me in that room that says what you're feeling is all right and it's going to be okay, even if it's the first experience they're having, um, you know, opening up again. Mm-hmm. What, what, is, what do you think are some of the most important things that women need to bear in mind and then really put into action steps with men? What are, like, three tips for women who are listening I think to know some of the dilemmas that we're talking about that men face out there and um, that we want to process all the time, <laughs> right? We're good. You know, you kind of think of girlfriends and we just want to get in there and rip it apart. And sometimes men just need that separation because they they can't process as quick as us. And I'm not being stereotypical. That's been proven with the MRIs that have happened. So sometimes just to give them a bit of time and then circle back to what the issues um, are and um, to recognize that this is your, this is not your, um, you're not at warfare here. This is the man mm. that you love. And if you have a more emotional capacity or the ability to connect more intuitively, why not help him out, you know, and tell him what you're needing and what you're needing from him to develop so that you're in it like you're part of that team, right? Versus kind of saying, if only you would, then I will, you know, this would be better because as soon as you kind of get to that uh, you statement and you shut down, you know, the man who goes back into that protective shell that then stops listening and then believes that he can't be vulnerable. Mm. 
And how about for men? Same question. I think they have to realize that we process all the time (laughs) and that, in fact, your wife is not trying to flood you um, potentially um, with feelings all the time, but that's the way our work brain is wired. And um, that sometimes it's just about saying, okay, you know, being able to verbalize, let's just slow down, we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, and also, again, to to recognize that even though we've evolved in, in society, that women are are still looking for their men to be that protective element in, in relationship still, right? Which yes. to me sounds stereotypical. But we, at the end of the day, we all come through that, you know, women need that security from uh, the men in their lives, regardless of what they're doing out in the world. Mm-hmm. And that they're vitally important. You know, sometimes men feel like they are, um, you know, the low priority on the rung. And to let them know that sometimes it's life stage. And it's about, you know, the two, the five, and the seven-year-old um, needing them all at once. But, you know, the priorities of parenting sometimes makes it seem like you don't care. But that, mm-hmm. you know, um, this is part of the process. This is part of us you know, getting through this together because we we, we envision this life together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't envision them with all the stressors, but now we're in it. So what do we do now that we're in it um, to get through <laughs> it together? Right. Who knew it would be so busy and complicated and exhausting? Absolutely. I, I You know, I, I don't often, I think about uh, my life and then I think about all the juggle as soon as you, you know, add the element of ch- uh, child or children and, and careers and all those things, and um, boy, to go back to when you're, you know, 20 again, without the responsibility, um, you know, it's 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 it is, is all encompassing. And I think if you know, I think that reality, you know, um, and I said the sharing, right, with um, older people ahead of you that have maybe done it well and not done it well, is oftentimes a good, I think, the best learning uh, that people can have. Mhm. I agree. Absolutely. So what what in your career with this are you hoping happens? Well, I think it's I'm hoping that people connect to really um themselves on a profound deep level um and really realize that we can all listen regardless of what's happening in our lives to what we truly want. And we can live the lives that we want in a um that purposeful driven life, whether it's in a career or relationships or friendships, that we can have the breath and richness, but it takes um courage to be able to do that and so that's what I hope my message is um in uh writing my book i've you know you, I often think that we do that behind a closed therapy door. But in the platform that I've now chosen to speak and to coach and uh, to speak, that's what I hope uh, the message is that I would get out there, um, out into the world, is that um, we have one go-round, um, and it is possible, and you can make uh, you know the life that you want, and you don't have to live life in quiet misery to sometimes maintain the facade of perfection. Um, mm. Sometimes things may not have to look that perfect, but you could be happy with it. Uh, but you have to be comfortable um, with living life on your own terms. Right. Well, we are in the last couple of minutes here. I would like to invite our listening audience to go to your website, which is Roxanne Derhaj, and that is spelled R O X 
A-N-N-E-D-E-R-H-O-D-G-E.com. And you can also find her on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you would like to write to Roxanne, you can send her an email, Roxanne at Roxanne Derhage. And the name of the book, which I think is a very enticing title here, is A A Therapist Insider's Guide on Relationships. Roxanne, thank you so much for being with us today. And I wish you and everyone out here, me included, the best in the future of intimate relationships. Take care, um, Roxanne, and it was great to have you here today, so thank you once again. Thank you. It was a pleasure uh, having spending this hour. It was an um, amazing time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, friends, that was another interview here on Blog Talk Radio, and this time talking about something a little bit differently than what we have in the past. It's spring mill. And love is in the air. What we want to do is make sure we don't develop allergies and get sick because of our either cravings for love or the love relationship that we're in the midst of or that we're wanting to be in the midst of. Love gets complicated because we carry ourselves with us everywhere we go, mind, body, and spirit. Seems to me that one of the things we need to remember and really practice, and this absolutely does tie in with the theme of my work and the theme of the show, The K Factor, where K does equal kindness and all the factors that lead to it. Let's just be good to one another. And if you love someone, let them know. This is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin, signing off. Until next time. <laughs>